21CL Radio. You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vassar. Hello, everybody. Welcome to my Run Your Life podcast series. In today's episode, Neela Steele and I will record our ninth installment of Four Times Mindfulness. So for those new listeners, and we hope we have new listeners each installment, uh, Four Times Mindfulness is a pretty simple formula that we came up with to share two sources of insight and inspiration uh, regarding mindfulness and, and our passion for sharing mindfulness. So Neil and I share two things each per episode, um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, but before getting into the ninth installment, here's Neela Steele to give you a little update on things and just to talk a little bit about how things are going. Well, we've just moved from Nanjing, China to Saudi Arabia, and we are working at the Kaust School. And it has been a month of transitions for both Andy and I starting new jobs, which is another uh, positive level of stress and settling in. And our boys are settling as well and making their little way in the world. And we're happy. We're happy to have this time to sit and discuss our inspiration and the thoughts that we want to share and i feel very fortunate to have time to do this yeah and i hope people always have some little gems and and things that they can take away to apply in their own life and this podcast really is it doesn't matter if you're a beginner with mindfulness you know nothing about it you um, are experienced with it you've been doing it for years it doesn't matter it's just our way to share what inspires us regarding mindfulness. So uh, I think you're going to start today with mm -hmm. the first seed of mindfulness, correct? Yes. Okay, so why don't you go ahead? I wanted to share a book that I'm reading or that I've just finished reading, and it's by Ryan Holiday. And Andy, I bought, I bought two books this summer. One, the current book that I just finished, which is The Obstacle is the Way, and the other one, which Andy is reading, is called Ego is the Enemy. So Ryan Holiday is a best-selling author, very interesting young man, and the book is based on Stoic philosophy. And I'm just going to pull the book out here and reference um, on page 27. The chapter is called Control Your Emotions. And going back to basics, the definition of mindfulness is all about present moment awareness and really truly trying to anchor yourself in the present moment with curiosity and kindness and bringing into that moment a non-judging attitude. So this chapter is, as I said, controlling your emotions and it's basically about the art of not panicking because what happens is when we become emotional, we sort of default into our knee-jerk reactions. 
And it's really when you're calm, even when there's a storm going around you, or that you can sort of center and find your stillness and not afford to, to panic. So when I read, I often take a pencil and write little side notes in the margins. I know for some people that might be sacrilegious to do that to their books, but I tend to do that so that I can refer back to questions and quotes that I that resonate with me. So I'm just going to read from the book on page 29, and it says that this skill must be cultivated so that you have sort of a control and freedom from disturbance. It's the ability to focus your energy exclusively on solving problems rather than reacting to them. And so much in mindfulness is about how you respond instead of react. And Ryan Halliday references Gavin De Becker, who is an author and writes in his book, The Gift of Fear, that when you worry, ask yourself, what am I choosing to not see right now? And what important things are you missing? Because you choose worry over introspection, alertness, or wisdom. So I love this because basically it's, it's reminding yourself, does getting upset provide you with more options right now? And in this instance, is it worth it to freak out? So in relation to this, um, I've mentioned before on the podcast that a few years ago, Andy and I were victims of identity theft, where we had a large sum of money uh, siphoned from both of our bank accounts in Nanjing. And the Chinese bank told us that they were not going to give us our money back, basically. And it was during these very intense meetings that I really believe mindfulness played a huge part in our lives. And we've come across some other major life transitions, such as moving countries and starting new jobs and Andy's um, year of consulting and us traveling as a family. So all those situations that are thrown at you on a daily basis or a weekly or monthly basis, it is so important to be in tune with your emotions. And to do that little self-check. And um, I think the idea of it's it's not completely removing the emotion and, and being absent of emotion because you're always going to experience certain emotions when frustrations arise and um, you're going to get angry, you're going to be clouded with uh, resentment or whatever the feelings are that you're experiencing, Um, but it's the ability to steady yourself and to anchor yourself and I think place ability within uh, yourself to be able to handle those situations Instead of, like you said, freaking out and because that does nothing, right? Right. In right. the short and term, then, it's a release, but it does nothing. It's in short term, it's a release, but then you have to backpedal and do some damage control because you may have um, 
erupted and said things that you don't mean. And perhaps your mindfulness practice is just stepping away in that heated moment and saying, I'm too angry right now to respond in a healthy way. And it's, I mean, by no means am I saying that Andy and I are perfect at this because we're not. It's just cultivating that awareness that I need to remove myself from the situation for some time. And do you do that uh, breath control? How does breath control come into those moments? I I, I think just bringing yourself back to the breath and then just trying to take some broader and deeper breaths than you normally would. I mean, people do that naturally. Um, you'll hear people in stressful situations, they might sigh out loud and they don't even realize that they are sighing out loud. But if you can bring yourself back to the breath and use your breath at that moment of, of whatever the intense emotion is, then that will, that will help. And you just do little baby steps and start small. So somebody's in a difficult meeting or they encounter a tension-filled moment with a colleague, whatever it is, and they're in the middle of that moment Mm -hmm. and the fire is about to erupt into a full-blown forest fire, more or less. At that moment, a broad, wide breath softening the solar plexus area. That's what I put into practice. (laughs) Do you have something similar? Yeah, I mean, whatever, you know, what, just personalize it. Maybe you want to bring the breath into the the feeling of your head about to implode, or maybe you want to connect with a body sensation to relax the shoulders away from the ears, or for some people, they might hold a lot of tension right in in the belly, and or the hips, the hips hold a lot of tension, and for others, it might be your toes. You just connect with your toes, whatever. Uh, there's no cookie cutter remedy to it. Test it out and, and try it. What works for you may not work for, for others, but if you just, the at the core, it's the breath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So, yeah. And how about uh, yourself? Are you going to go right into... Uh, well, I'm going to go into the ego as the enemy and Ryan Holiday as well, seeing okay. as you're talking about the obstacles the way and you finished uh, the obstacles the way before I finished the ego as the enemy. Yes. But the idea is that we're going to switch. Exactly. As soon as I'm done ego as the enemy, I'm mm-hmm. handing it over and I'm going to get the obstacles the way. Um, speaking of which, our good friend Joey Fight from Montreal, Canada... Um, sent me a message today saying, oh, have you read the book, The Obstacle mm-hmm. is the Way? Because he, you know, he was telling me that in the message that he, f- he found so much value in it. And uh, it's funny that we should be reading the books at the same time. We didn't know. But anyways, um, what I want to share from Ryan Holiday's uh, book, The Ego is the Enemy, is on page 39. And it's in the chapter, Become a Student. And it's all about um, that studious self-assessment is the antidote for anything in our lives. Mm -hmm. But it's not that quote in particular. It's that idea that in order to constantly learn and to thrive and to grow, um, we need to put ourselves in a certain position that requires us to tap into excellence that is greater than us, to tap into... Um, 
excellence, and maybe not even excellence, but to tap into parallel skill. So somebody that is equal to us in whatever we're striving to do and to mentor somebody who's not at the level that we're at. And it's actually mentioned in here. Ryan Holiday talks about it in this chapter. Uh, he talks about Frank Shamrock, who is a, a mixed martial arts pioneer and multi-title champion. And he has always put this uh, system into work in his training when, when he was training as a fighter, but as he trains fighters. And he calls it the plus, minus, and equal kind of formula. And it's that uh, to be his very best as a fighter or to train somebody to be their best as a fighter in mixed martial arts, to become great, you need to have someone better that you can learn from. You need someone lesser who you can teach and you need someone equal that, that you can challenge and they can challenge you. And it's only when you put yourself in this plus, minus, and equal formula situation that true growth happens. Mm-hmm. Um, because you often hear as, as educators, um, the best way to learn a skill is to teach it. Right. Right? So I think with mindfulness, regardless of at what level you are, I would still call myself very much uh, an amateur. I'm not an expert by any means. Um, but I think just if you're trying to grow and learn when it comes to mindfulness, then find somebody who knows a lot more about it than you do and tap into their ability and their talents and ask them questions and get them to share stories and all of that. And you will be inspired. Find somebody at an equal level to you with mindfulness and just share ideas and, and challenge one another and you can learn and grow from that. And then find somebody who knows nothing about it and share your wisdom wherever you're at with it. Um, and that's a formula that is not meant just for learning more about mindfulness, but it can be applied to anything that we do in life. And um, being mindful uh, of those connections in your life will, will help you to learn and grow. So plus, minus, equal. There are people you can find who will fit this formula and serve the purpose of either teaching you, being your equal, challenging you, or giving you an opportunity to teach something that you're learning. So there it is, Ryan Holiday, Become a Student, page 39 of Ego is the Enemy. Absolutely. I like, I like that um, formula. You said plus, minus, or equal, yes. right? And while you were talking, I was thinking about people in my lives, in my life, who have been either a mentor or where I have tested out ideas to share with others. And, or the equal is when I immediately meet someone and share the passion of, say, mindfulness or yoga. And right away, you almost, you feel this great connection. So without categorizing them, I think that happens naturally. But as you said, if you feel that you are in an area where you want to seek people who know more about it, then you also have to challenge yourself to create those connections. You have to be open to 
connect with others. And that, again, is the ego. Totally. And that's what the book is about. The yes. ego is the enemy. Is our, our egos, get in, whether we believe it or not, our egos stand in the way. Our egos are the obstacle a lot of times that we need to remove ourselves from mm-hmm. in order to to truly learn. Um, I'm looking forward to swapping. And- yeah, you're gonna you're gonna like this one, and I'm looking forward to reading that one. Yes. So that's the second seed of mindfulness this week. Uh, become a student, and you do that through the plus, minus, and equal formula. So, Neela Steele, how about your third th- seed of mindfulness? The third seed of mindfulness today, again, is back to basics. Is uh, something that I love to do every day. Is look in my eyes. Um, no. Well, okay. I like that too. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's <laughs> uh, and that's eat. Um, I love eating. I am um, a woman who has had a relationship with food, uh, obviously my whole life, but the relationship has been positive and negative. So... I guess I don't want to reveal too, too much, but I'm just going to talk about the act of eating. And if you're somebody who loves to eat, um, I guess I want to connect with the fact with when we eat and how much we eat mindlessly. And I'm not preaching. I also have to practice this because... There are those habits where you're, say, for example, opening the fridge or you're cooking and you're grazing. And by the time you've finished cooking a meal, or rather the time that Andy's finished cooking the meal, um, you're already full because you basically have had the equivalent of a full plate and then you're still going to sit down and have that full plate. So I'm, I'm not here to call out sins that people commit when they mindlessly eat. And rather, I want to focus on the next time you eat. So I think it was John Kabat-Zinn who started the exercise called the Raisin um, Exercise. And I've had... I've um, done this exercise in many workshops um, that I have attended where you take a raisin and you slowly start to compartmentalize all the senses when you eat. And let's just say the next time you sit down and you're about to drink or eat something, when you pick up your drink, you should take a moment to inhale and smell the drink. And then you might be holding the drink in your hand and you might note the temperature. If it's a cup of hot coffee, if it's a cold beverage, and you might note the fingertips touching the container that holds your drink. And then you would allow the drink to come into your mouth and just let it sit on your tongue as if you were tasting a fine wine and you just let that flavor sort of sit around and play with it with your tongue and then you swallow now obviously you may not do this as slowly as i just described but if you 
are, or if you have the luxury of that time, just test it out to see what a difference it makes when you begin to smell and touch and feel and take that bite as if it were your last bite. It's always the last bite that you seem to savor um, after, even after you've had 10, but it's that last bite of pumpkin pie with cream on top of it, or it's the last bite of whatever you fancy to be a treat for you. And the other thing I wanted to draw into this mindful drinking or mindful eating is, um, for some of you, you may know that Andy and I lived in Japan for nine years. Almost 10. Almost 10, a full decade. So one of the things I love in Japan is when you go over to somebody else's house and you eat, you, you put your hands together and again at your heart. And before you eat, everybody says, itadakimasu. And uh, itadakimasu literally translates into, uh, I humbly receive this food. So you practice a bit of gratitude for the people who have prepared the food, for the dishes they sit on. And if you've ever had a traditional Japanese dish um, or dinner, you know that there is a multitude of beautiful dishes that have teeny tiny morsels on them. So there's lots of preparation that goes into the aesthetics of how the food looks and who's serving it to you. So it doesn't take more than a second to place your hands together and just say thank you for this food. And then what I also like is to finish the meal, you also say gochisuzamadeshita, which also means thank you basically to everyone from the farmers to the food itself if it's an animal, you're thanking for the, the sacrifice, for the people who have served it up. And it, again, is gratitude for what you are nourishing your body with. And today, when you took the boys to um, their junior golf lessons, I was at home and I was eating breakfast by myself. And I was listening to a podcast and sitting with the dog. And I reminded myself to shut off the podcast, to sit in silence, to set the table in a way that was pleasing. And I took some time to silently eat and it was so much more nourishing and satisfying than had I eaten it sort of multitasking and doing other things. So aim to step away from your computer at lunchtime, step away from reading your screens and just dive into the beautiful act of nourishing your body with some scrumptious food. And I think that it's actually a healthier way to eat because you're eating slowly and mindfully. And, and it's better for your it's digestive system. for your digestive system. It's, That's, it's proven that it is. Yeah. And, and one thing that we rarely check in with is before you eat, just rate you know, how hungry are you? Am I, am I eating because this is the time to eat that I eat every day? Or is my body physically hungry? So yeah, it's, it's a practice. And I love cooking for you. I love eating what you cook for me. Yeah. So I'm one of those uh, people that are very guilty of 
grazing, as you say. As I'm cooking a meal, I'm just picking away. And oftentimes when I go to serve dinner for you and Eli and Ty, I'm kind of full, you know, because mm. I'm enjoying the fruits of my own labor, mm-hmm. right? But um, And yours, your final um, seat of mindfulness for this week. The final seat of mindfulness for this week is a story that I want to share that I shared yesterday. I was um, helping to facilitate uh, professional development at our school here, and it was all about the arts, so about music, drama, and uh, visual arts. And I shared the story of Sting, and what a lot of people uh, are not aware of, well, a lot of people know Sting from the police, and they know that um, Sting is an amazing musician and artist. Uh, for you know, almost two decades, he was able to produce one best hit after another. Anytime he you know, put a pen in his hand and put it to paper, he could write a song. And then the police would you know, create the song with him and then perform it. And it was just an endless cycle of creativity. So after his father died, he, in 1989 or 1990, he completely hit the wall when it came to creativity. He went to write a song one day and nothing came to him. And he was like, oh, that's funny. You know, put the pen down, returned a day later. Same thing. Days turned into weeks, turned into months, turned into years. And for almost 12 years, years 12 years he could not write a song he had complete writer's block it was frustrating to him obviously as a songwriter to experience this he couldn't figure out why he never lost his love of music he kept practicing and performing but he couldn't write anything so as he describes it um, in a TED talk he, in about the 11th year, 10th or 11th year of this writer's block, he, he put himself through something called digression therapy, which forced him to really reflect deeply on his own life. And not knowing where he was going with these reflections, he was drawn back to the time that he was a kid and the relationship that he had with his father. And his father was a milkman and Sting had uh, a very poor relationship with his father growing up he was not uh he was only able to reconcile and uh make amends and kind of forgive his father on his father's deathbed um and it wasn't his father wasn't abusive he just was absent emotionally and gave him no love whatsoever so this digression therapy brought sting back to his childhood And he thought about his father waking him up at 5 a.m. to bring him on his milk run. His father was a milkman. And he would make Sting wake up and go in the milk truck with him. And he would make him deliver milk to the house. His father would just stay in the truck and say, two quarts of milk here, three quarts there, four quarts there, whatever. But it was between deliveries out in this rural area that uh, Sting was allowed to just... Uh, wander off with his imagination in silence and look out the window in the early morning as the sun was rising and to daydream and to fantasize and to create stories in his head. And he said it was the most peaceful kind of creative time of his life. 
creating these stories. So when he went through this digression therapy and he found himself back in the milk truck looking out the window, um, he felt a little spark. And after he had done this digression therapy a few times, bringing him back to those moments, as he describes, the songs came back to him uh, like a torrential downpour. Mm -hmm. As he describes it, uh, like a uh, projectile vomiting. Once again, whole songs formed fully as he took pen to paper. And he was once again able to produce or to, to, to write these songs one after another, but he was writing them differently. Because he was brought back to his childhood, he thought about people in his community and he grew up in a small town and that was driven by the shipbuilding industry. So any adult pretty much in the town was connected with the shipbuilding industry. So he began to think about the adults in the community that he grew up in and began to think about their stories. Because after he left high school, or when he went to high school and he graduated, he left his town forever and never went back. He just wanted to forget about his town. But he was forced to go back to his town and to remember what it was like growing up, remember what it was like being creative, remember the people in the community. And the empathy that he had was overwhelming. And he realized that he had to remove himself from Sting and the police and begin giving other begin giving other people a voice and that's when the songs came to him like projectile vomiting so he ended up writing all of these songs about people in the community that worked in the shipyard and lo and behold he creates a broadway play mm. that he stars in and sings in and it changed the course of his life wanted to share that story because it's a perfectly uh it's a perfect example of embodying mindfulness because he put himself in a position to truly reflect and to think back through this digression therapy. And you need silence and time to be able to do this. And mindfulness allows you silence and time. It's just not meditation. It's not just breathing, but it's putting yourself into this uh, deep experience of reflection and when you do this, um, you can achieve anything in regards to reflecting on your own life, whatever it is you're reflecting about, whatever it is you're trying to come to grips with or to overcome, you need time and silence and reflection. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness allows that. Sting became uh, a new artist based on, f on breaking himself from writer's block through di digression therapy. And uh, Sting is really into mindfulness as well. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so um, it just speaks volumes for the power of mindfulness uh, and the power that uh, reflection can play in our lives. So that's what I wanted to share, Neela Steele. I don't think that story is well known about Sting. No, not no. at all. When yeah. I told it yesterday, I told it there must have been uh, at least 20 teachers there from the arts right. and a couple administrators and nobody knew that story. They were all kind of like, wow, that's yeah. amazing. Even, like, even the fact that he had writer's block for yeah. 12 years. Almost 12 years. 
because he was so successful already with the police, he just assumed that... Ego is the enemy. Ryan Holiday. Yeah. He had such an ego. And that's mm, what he says. That he had to remove himself from Sting and yeah. no longer make it about Sting. And, and you said he went back to his hometown and started to think of all the members of the community that had an impact on his life. Yes. Right? Yeah. 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 And which, it, which, is, which is the uh, connection to empathy. Totally. Right. Yeah. So uh, pretty cool story. So I guess my advice is, and again, uh, Neela and I are not claiming guru status <laughs> when, it, when it comes to mindfulness. But my advice would be to just try to employ a little more quiet time uh, in your life to just think about the day even. At minimum, just think about the day. And the one thing I want to add is for, for a lot of people, it's I'm too busy. I'm too busy to allow for quiet time to sit and reflect but i think a way that you can drop into mindfulness is when you are doing things that you normally do throughout your day for example if you wake up and you have a shower maybe that is your time to be mindful maybe you wake up and it's it's the automaticity of making your coffee in the morning will bring a little more mindfulness into that moment where you can sort of come into stillness and do something that you normally do on a daily basis and just try to drop into some mindfulness there by making the coffee, dropping into your breath, becoming aware of your body, maybe standing up a little taller and breathing as you're waiting either for the microwave or the toaster or the kettle. And and that is a way that you can just nudge yourself into the practice of mindfulness. Excellent. Excellent advice. So let's recap. Um, Neil Steele, number uh, one. We're big on Ryan Holiday at the moment. Uh, The Obstacle is the Way is the book that I referenced, and it was about aiming to control your emotions and asking yourself, do I really need to panic or freak out at this moment in time? The second one is from Ryan Holiday, The Ego is the Enemy, and that idea of plus, minus, or equal, putting yourself in a position to seek mentors to find people parallel to you um, in whatever it is you're trying to get better at and to mentor somebody that's not at your level. And when you do this, you're putting yourself in a great position to be a wonderful learner of whatever it is Mm -hmm. you're trying to learn. Mm -hmm. Number three, Neela Steele. If you're somebody who loves to eat and drink and nourish your body with good food, then I encourage you to eat mindfully. Be aware of what you are eating, how it tastes, the mood or the energy shift after you eat. Uh, Use this time to hack your own body, hack that habit of eating. We do it so automatically. and and, eating quickly. Well, I mean... From the habit of eating quickly or... Well, whatever your habit, yeah. eating mindlessly, yeah. eating quickly, eating foods that are not healthy for you, yeah. eating foods that do not sustain you. So to mindfully put those things in your mouth and enjoy them. If you love eating, why not do it mindfully and, and love it? Excellent. And the last one. Is about Sting and his writer's block and what he had to do to overcome it, which was digression therapy and putting himself in that 
position to deeply reflect on his own life, uh, not knowing where it was going to bring him back mm-hmm. to, but to take that that mindful time to do so. Um, I just wanted to mention something very cool in an upcoming episode. Uh, we're shifting gears a little bit yeah. on September 15th. Gonna... It's September 2nd today. But on September 15th, Mike Kuzala, our mindful friend from uh, the States, is um, going to join us. And it's going to be a six times mindfulness episode. Yeah, we're looking I'm for... excited about we're that. We're looking forward to that and hearing from Mike. So we really appreciate taking the, your precious time out to listen. And we would love... Any feedback and or comments to let us know that you're out there listening. And uh, if you're a person who really embraces mindfulness and you're learning about it, um, send us a line and maybe you can join us for a six times mindfulness episode at some point in the future. Neela Steele, close off today's show. I hope you guys all have a great break. Uh, Not a break, a weekend. Our weekends are... Friday, Saturday, we start the week on Sundays. So we're a little messed up during the days. Sometimes that's going to take a while to adjust to. But uh, hopefully you start your week with mindful intentions and you follow through with them until the rest of the week. Okay. Thank you very much. for listening to the Run Your Life podcast by Andy Bassett. To check out show notes, get some more information about Andy as well as his guests, head to our website, 21clradio.com.